Welcome to In Conversation, the podcast from Creative Coverage, with me, Tim Saunders. Today, I'm with Andrew Faulkner, a painter of the natural world. What inspires you to paint it, Andrew? A lifelong love of animals, really. Um, ever since I've been a child, um, my father worked on a farm for years, and being around animals just seemed a natural thing for me. We always had dogs uh, as pets in the family, and I've always enjoyed drawing, although I have to be honest and admit that first attempts were always copying from books and, and other people's work. But that desire to do it has never left me. And now I'm completely hooked on the whole process. I thoroughly enjoy every minute of it, whether it's a success or not, really. And have you always been an artist? Yes, up to a point, I suppose. I mean, I was comfortable with a pencil. But on the odd occasion, I might decide to sort of try and take it a little bit further and perhaps add some colour um, in the way that we all do at school um, with a brush and, and watercolour paints. Everything just deteriorated dramatically from that point onwards. So for a long time, it was only pencil that I used. But I still couldn't resist the temptation when I saw images of animals to try and render my own versions of them. What would you say would be your favourite animal? I've been asked this quite a lot and, and for a long, long time I would always say, well, actually, I haven't got one um, and come out perhaps with the, the trite answer. Well, the one I'm working on at the moment. <laughs> but I, I, I have gradually over time, I think I have to admit, developed a real fondness for that beautiful animal, the snow leopard. And, and that's partly because away through my sort of artistic development, I came back to working, having reached a point where I could reasonably successfully put a, a brush and paint onto a surface and create a, a moderately reasonable end result. I actually came back to pencil, but not just to create sort of outline drawings, which I always do for paintings, but to actually take a few pieces of work right through to completion using graphite pencil. So we're basically creating an image with various monochrome shades of grey. And if there's one subject in the animal world that lends itself to that sort of colour range, it's that beautiful big cat. But I enjoy painting them as well now. So um, I, I think probably that's the one. Quite honestly, I never cease to be amazed at the versatility of what is probably about as simple and straightforward an artistic tool as you can possibly lay your hands on. Pencils, as most people will know, are produced in a wide range of 20 different grades of of hardness, and that gives some incredible subtlety to to what you can produce if you're prepared to take it slowly. And while slowly, to be perfectly honest, is my way of working, regardless of what medium I'm using. I, I take an inordinately long time to come up with an end result. But it's that's basically because I'm fascinated by the detail, the textures and the patterns. And although I do admire a lot of artists who can be very loose and spontaneous in the way that they work, it really isn't for me. And it doesn't end up creating what I'm attempting to create and that's as close a representation of, of what's inspired me as, as I can possibly manage. Now there can't be many snow leopards on your doorstep <laughs> so how do you go about finding them? Well I mean 
as most wildlife artists w would agree yes it's it's wonderful to be able to travel around the world and and i have done up to a to a point but there are certain species which you're unlikely to see even if you have the potential to go and, and travel to the areas in which they live and snow leopard certainly is one of those and researchers get highly excited when they see them but visitors and, and tourists certainly aren't likely to so it has to be wildlife parks and zoos i much prefer going to to places where the animals are given as much space as they possibly can so you get to see something that approximates natural behavior of course it's never going to be the same as an animal that's living in the wild and and basically struggling for survival all the time but you do at least get to see them up close and personal and you get to spend time understanding how they move and and appreciating the wonderful patterns in the fur or the plumage or, or you know whichever depending on your your particular subject is there a particular zoo that you frequent i do go fairly regularly down to marwell near Winchester in Hampshire. They have a, talking about snow leopards, they have a new, well, moderately new um, enclosure there for their snow leopards, which they've called the Roof of the World, which has wonderful rock faces and, and areas for the animals to occupy. And uh, I, I've been there on, on numerous occasions. But, you know, even when we travel, there are places in lots of countries around the world where it's possible to see animals up close. I've also been very lucky to go once or twice to big cats sanctuary down in Kent. Uh, it's the one that was featured on the TV with the cats around, big cats around the house. And I've been there once or twice on photography days. And we get the opportunity, because it's not open to the public, to go in with the keepers close to the compounds. And, you know, then you really get to see wonderful animals up close. Twice I've been now with a company that does sort of photographic safaris. Now, that mean you know, that can be abroad in wonderful locations but they also have an arrangement with the big cat sanctuary where they will take a few times a year a group of half a dozen photographers in and then you get the place to yourself essentially but having the keepers there when you're there means that they can get the animals to pay more attention to you so you get really close up opportunities and um, although the Twice that I've been, the other five people in the group were all photographers and going specifically to try and get stunning photographs of the animals. Tim, the guy who runs it, knows very well that I'm going to go there specifically to get dozens of reference photographs. And I'm certainly not a photographer um, in the, that sort of sense of the word. What I do, I, I, I'm collecting reference so they don't stand up as wonderful photographs in their own right, but they give me the information that I need. Do you have a particular camera for this? And I've had an, a number of different cameras over the years, um, uh, big cameras with enormous lenses and that sort of thing, which are not easy to carry around because whenever myself and my wife go out walking, I've always got the, a camera with me. And if we're likely to be able to spend enough time, then a, a sketchbook as well. And carrying one of these enormous cameras, the size of a house brick with a heavy lens attached to it as well, gets a bit uh, tiring after a while. So actually what I use now is a Panasonic Lumix Panasonic bridge camera, which has a fantastic high quality lens on it, but it's small and compact and it can sit in a little pouch on, you know, attached to my belt or attached to the rucksack if we're going further afield. And I can still get very good quality images, well, as good as I need anyway, using that, but without the problems of, of having to lug it around because I've frequently got a telescope on a tripod slung across my back and binoculars hanging around my neck. So I don't particularly want a, a heavy camera as well. There must be an element of trepidation about going 
going into a snow leopard's cage. They make sure that we have at least one sort of barrier between us and them. So unfortunately, we don't get right up close, um, although I have had the opportunity to to um, stroke one of the, the big cats, a Sumatran tiger that was particularly chilled. And she lay down beside the um, the wire barrier and the um, the keeper gave us an opportunity just to tentatively reach through and, and you know, feel the quality of her wonderful fur. But no, I... I I wouldn't claim to be um, the bravest person in the world. And the idea of stepping through that barrier, I think, you know, much as I love the animals, I think that's not one I would take. Do you have any professional training or are you self-taught? No, I, I am what they would term self-taught. I'm showing my age now. But basically, when I had to choose my O-levels, pre-GCSE days, I always wanted to do biology because the interest in animals had been there, as I mentioned before, from a very early age. And, and knowing how they're, they're put together and... Uh, the aspects of their physiology and things was always of an interest to me. But unfortunately, the process for cho- choosing A-levels was take one subject from each box. And what do they do? They lump biology and art in the same box. So I had to then make a choice. And I have to say, I didn't particularly see eye to eye with my art teacher, um, not uh, through any fault of hers, but through a very naive idea that I had that going to art lessons at school was going to be shown how to do the things that I wanted to do. In other words, draw and paint animals. I realise now it was a ridiculous idea to have because the teacher couldn't do it. So she did what she was required to do for the curriculum and it bored me silly. So I chose biology. But what I did do eventually was to come back to the drawing again. And again, it's when my wife and I first met, um, we've always done a fair bit of walking and we started buying field guides to the birds and and animals and and wildflowers and most of them were illustrated with drawings and paintings and I started to get sort of twitchy again and I thought I'm going to have another go Um, and it was my wife's mother who basically kick-started my career because she was the one that encouraged me rather than copying to do something of my own and she was also the one who took the first really awful efforts that I created and took them away and after having got them framed by a friend of the family, put them in a local arts group exhibition 40 odd years ago. And when somebody came along and purchased one, I was completely gobsmacked because I wouldn't have given them house room and I certainly wouldn't have paid for them. But I asked, so I had another go and I did some more and there seemed to be a little bit of interest there. But more important than that, I was hooked. I was enjoying it every minute of it. You know, today it wouldn't make any difference to me if I couldn't make a living out of it. I just can't stop doing it. Uh, so I did- your mother-in-law has a lot to answer for absolutely yes yeah and i'm I'm hugely grateful i know some people may not have that sort of opinion of their mother-in-law but no she did she really did she she made me take that step away from copying where there was obviously somebody else had made all the decisions so that process was much easier Um, and she made me step out of my comfort zone and do something that to begin with i was terrified of but she gave me the encouragement when i did it And, and then of course other people passing complimentary remarks or even better still putting their hand in their pocket and being prepared to part with some money for some of the things I created was then all I needed really to to keep me going. Was your mother-in-law an artist herself? Yes, and so is her daughter, my wife. She knew how to get the best out of me, basically, because you know of her own understanding of you know what it what it takes to create something for people to see. Um, and uh, yes, I mean she was a hobby artist, I suppose she would call herself. But um, in terms of the amount of help and support she gave 
gave me. She could just as easily have been an art teacher. And you mentioned the, the self-taught aspect of it. I mean, it is what, what people would always say about somebody who hasn't had art training as such. But over the years, I have squeezed every possible bit of information, help, or however you like to put it, from just about every artist I've met. I've got countless books by wildlife artists who, whose work I really admire and over the years have poured over them for hours on end or talked to other artists for hours on end. So I probably have more art teachers actually, although they've all only given me a little piece of your sort of nugget of, of information and help. I've had more art teachers than I would have done if I'd been to college. So it's not entirely self-taught. No, a lifetime's experience. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's still going. You know, when I do workshops and things for, for art groups, it seems as though a workshop is a one-way system that, you know, people come in and the artist gives out information, end of story, but actually it works the other way around too. And on numerous occasions, somebody had, uh, at a workshop has said, well, I'm actually, you, you showed us how to do this. And they'll say, well, you know, I've done something similar, but I've used this particular piece of equipment or this approach. And they show me and I think, why hadn't I noticed that? And I go away with, you know, having learned something new too. So the process is ongoing. Do you have any workshops running at the moment or in the future? I've got one in place for early next year, which is for an art group that I visited a number of times. Uh, and I'm going back again to do a pastoral workshop. But I tend to do work on you know in that way in other words art groups um will get in touch and then i'll go and do a, um, a session for them at a time that works for for all of us rather than actually having regular ongoing organized workshops that people can book in for but um i am going away well, I hope I am, providing we, we get enough people book on the, the retreat down to Devon next June to do a, a weekend drawing animals and birds in colour pencil. Uh, it's a new venue that I haven't been to before, um, but it looks looks stunning and I'm really looking forward to it. In terms of the workshops that you run, do you work purely locally? No, I go further afield. Um, I mean, basically, I'll go where, wherever anybody wants me to go. I mean, some of the talks I've done recently have been, I've done one on the south coast. I do workshops for another group. A lady runs a series of classes continually throughout the year um, in Bristol. And she invited me a couple of years ago to go along as a guest artist for one of those. And we've since done another two or three. So I go and so that's about I don't know, 40, 50 miles from, from me at home. But no, I don't mind where I go. Are you working on a particular piece at the moment? Yes, I'm about three parts of the way through a painting uh, of a little owl, which is I mean I, I love birds of prey and in fact I like to be perfectly honest most predators um, and I think that's something that in, I have in common with a lot of wildlife artists whether it's the drama of the, the chase or, or what it is but lots of wildlife artists like big cats and wolves and birds of prey and owls and I particularly like owls so um, yeah there's uh, it's come together years after the fact we had a holiday on Sky probably 12 13 years ago and we found some wonderful old buildings that I did lots of drawing around and, and lots of um, photographing of, of different aspects of them. And as very often happens, those reference photographs have, have sat along with all, all my tens of thousands of others for a long time. And then suddenly I've 
was flipping through them one day looking for some inspiration. I'd already decided on the, the bird subject, which is unusual. Sometimes it's the background that actually inspires the, the picture and the, the wildlife subject it comes along second in that process. But I knew what I wanted to, to paint and little owls do tend very often to, to appear around human habitation, old barns and places like that. And uh, it was some of the photographs that I took around an old shed made of very rusty corrugated iron. And suddenly I looked at that and I thought, that's it. You know, that'll do. I've probably looked at it tens of, if not hundreds of times over the years, and it's never really jumped out at me as a possibility. Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing lots of rusty metal, which I love. Um, when, whenever I paint anything, if it's got anything man-made in it, I'm always inclined to make it look a little bit rough and ready. I like things that nature's taken a bit of a bite out of rather than things that are shiny and pristine. So I'm doing lots of rusty metal, which, you know, I'm, I'm in my element when I get to that sort of situation. I mean, I work in a variety of of media i mentioned graphite pencil and color pencil pastel i enjoy um which is a strange one because my the fact that i'm drawn to to extreme detail always meant that pastel i could never really see that there was a potential for that to be fine enough for me to do that sort of work um until i saw the work of an american artist and she uses pastel basically in the same way that i use every medium by building it up layer upon layer creating some wonderful detail and i found that she was working on a different surface that I'd never heard of before. So I gave that a try. And ever since then, I've been hooked on that as a, as a medium. And I do like to jump around between media just to give myself the opportunity to, to sort of freshen up every now and again. Um, I mean, when I'm doing book work, I can spend the whole 12 months working in the same medium. And that gets me to the point where I think if it's if I've been painting, I'm desperate to pick up a pencil. And the reverse applies as well. But um, when I'm painting, which I am at the moment, um, I paint in acrylic. And it's a particular type of acrylic, which is based based on a resin so it's slightly different to the majority of them which tend effectively to be nothing but basically much more than liquid plastic the resin gives fantastic depth of color even when heavily diluted and because i was initially a watercolor painter i'd use watercolor with gouache um, to to add detail i was able to transition to using this medium without any change in techniques and that the first time i used it was oh, about 30 years ago and i've never picked up watercolor since but i work in the same way essentially usually on primed MDF. I do work on paper and if I'm doing um, work that's going to be published then it has to be on paper because more often than not they want to scan things on a flexible surface but given the choice I would always work on a gesso primed board and this is Chromacolor is the, the name of the, the acrylic that I use and it's just wonderful for that. It, I build it up in countless layers but every layer that dries, once it's dry, it's permanent and waterproof and that means that although my technique is very much the same as it always was with watercolour, I don't have to worry when I come back in with a heavy wet wash over an area of, of colour or detail that I'm going to start lifting it and muddying the overall end result. And it gives you know huge confidence it gave me when I first started using it because I can also use it opaquely. And that means if I make a mistake, which you know we all do, it doesn't always work the way we hope it will, I can paint over areas and carry on rather than if the mistake was too horrendous with watercolour, finding I have to put it to one side and start all over again. Are you loyal to a particular brand? 
This, as far as the acrylic is concerned, yes. I mean, I'll, I'll stick with Chromacolor now till I'm unable to paint anymore because I'm just, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and it, they, they make a big play, the manufacturers, about the versatility of it. And essentially, whatever medium you previously used, obviously wet media, um, whether you want to use it as an ink in a technical pen, I use it in an airbrush at times for backgrounds. It is that higher quality that you can do that, but you can use it as watercolour. You can even add thickness to it and use it as you would oil paint with um, a palette knife and retarder to slow the drying process down. Whenever I do talks for, for groups, I'm always banging on about chroma colour ad nauseum, it's, but it is so good. <laughs> well, it sounds very versatile. It is incredibly versatile. And it because of, I mean, the, they maintain that you can dilute it up to seven times more than you could watercolour and still retain the quality of colour. So for me, with countless layer in every painting that I do, it just works. I absolutely love it. Are you their brand ambassador? <laughs> there are a few of us who, who use it and, and we do make a point of, you know, if we put work on show, we don't say this is acrylic. We basically say this is chroma colour, which almost invariably creates questions from people because they've never heard of it. And the reason they've never heard of it is that essentially it's the medium that was produced initially for the likes of Walt Disney, who used to produce animated films by painting onto acetate cells. But some of their people were, were artists in, in their spare time too. And they started playing around with it and thinking, actually, this is this is not bad. You don't just have to paint on, on clear acetate. You can paint on paper. You can paint on basically anything you want. But not only that, you can use the same techniques that you would have used with other media. So what they very quickly realized was that actually that could be produced as a fine art medium. And a company in this country bought the rights to make it over here. But it was a small family concern. So they didn't have the capacity to produce it in the volumes that would be required for putting out to the art suppliers um, on, a, on a huge scale. So essentially, the only people who knew about it were either people who saw them at, at venues such as Art in Action and places like that, where they would always have their, their product there for people to see, or for pe- anybody who happened to come across an artist like myself who was using it, and also then as a result promoted the name. So it's only available mail order. But whenever I'm doing talks or workshops or what have you, I always take people little leaflets with all the details on so that they can contact them if they want to because it's well worth I mean it is expensive if you compare it to certain other products but because it lasts so long you know you you don't need to use huge volumes of it because the color is strong then there is an initial outlay that that some people might find is a bit a bit too much for them but once you've got some you've got it for a long time well that's fascinating thank you very much for introducing me to it like many others I had not come across it before you were telling me about how slow you are in producing your work well can you give me an idea of how long a certain piece would take you to Um, produce it it does it does vary a lot dependent upon not necessarily the size of the piece but dependent upon the subject if i've painted a particular animal bird or environment uh, a number of times then i may very well already have solved a few of the problems Um, in other words how am i going to achieve that texture what do i need to do to create the right sort of detail in that particular aspect of the of the picture so a large piece can then go relatively quickly but at the same token a small one if, if it's something i haven't painted before and there brings into play trial and error you know try something see if it achieves what i want if it doesn't then i'll have to try something else that can often mean that a, a small one can take a long time but it's not unusual probably for me to 
spend 60 to 80 hours on a piece which you know may not be necessarily more than about well 18 inches square it just depends it may look from looking at the the end results that i managed to create that i looked as you know i knew what i was doing but actually in a lot of cases it's not you know i'm really i'm floundering around trying to find the solution to a problem and i'm not prepared to let it leave me unless i'm absolutely happy with it i paint primarily selfish as it sounds to please myself because i want the end result to be as good as i can possibly make it at the moment the only work that i sell is either as a result of doing the workshops i always take work with me whether it's the books that, that I've authored um, or prints or original work um, I always have with me on, on those situations. I do what I did prior to all the COVID restrictions. Once a year, spend a week down at a wonderful place called Nature in Art near Gloucester, um, which for anybody who doesn't know is essentially the UK's first museum and gallery that's dedicated specifically to art inspired by the natural world. Now that's, yes, that's two-dimensional, but also wood, ceramics, metalwork, textiles. Any artist, would, regardless of medium, who produces work that focuses on the natural world could be represented there. And they have a, an artist-in-residence program which runs for, I think it's about 48 weeks out of the year. And essentially Essentially, they have one or some on occasion several artists down there for a week and we get an opportunity to have our work on show for people who visit the museum to come and have a look but we also spend our time painting drawing or whatever our particular specialism is um, so that people can actually see the work in progress and it's wonderful wonderful because we get the chance as artists to talk to the people who we are trying to communicate with through our our work and it's wonderful to hear what people say whether it be negative or positive um, so that's another opportunity that I have at present I don't have work in any galleries I have had it in one or two but uh, it's it's something that I will be pursuing shall we say a little more readily now that things are easing up again to to see if there's a possibility that I can get some work out there for people to see and I also plan to open we're having a bit of a rearrangement here at home and, and setting up um, I have a very small studio at present but we have another larger room that we're intending to create a, a bigger studio stroke gallery in um, and both as my wife is also an artist she works in textiles we're hoping to to open that up for oxford art weeks in may next year thank you very much for your time andrew it's been not at all it's been a pleasure thank you